One. Merry Christmas. Eight days. Count it down. That was a great start this morning. That warmed my heart. I didn't cry, Larry, but the, the, I welled a little. That was touching. Seeing those young voices praising the Lord. Cunninghams, you were great too, don't get me wrong. But to see those kiddos singing joy to the world and getting excited about the Savior is so special. So let's continue that. In true great adventure fashion, we have a curveball to throw at you this morning. So as of yesterday prior to noon, we were so excited that Ivan Mungia was going to be here this morning. He was going to preach a wonderful Christmas message for the second year in a row. He was going to stay all day and help us with our outreach tonight. It was going to be just fantastic. And he called and said, uh, Brother KT, uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> we're all throwing up. <laughs> we can't come. So we will miss he and his family so much. He asked me to apologize for you. I didn't know if that meant because he couldn't come or because you had to listen to me. But either way, Yvonne is very sorry that he won't be there. So in rare opportunity, it's one of those times that says, okay, I get to, I get to preach. So Donald, surprise, brother Donald asked me Wednesday when I'm preaching again next. I said, New Year's Eve. Well, surprise, I get another opportunity early. So instead of putting together the old traditional uh, three-pointer with outline, etc., uh, for the sake of time, I decided just to kind of share some of my Christmas musings, if you will. Things that the Lord's been laying on my heart here getting ready for this Christmas season. And so there'll be less organization and less formal structure. You don't have a, a handout in front of you. But my prayer and hope is that all of us will be able to kind of join together in this season. Now, there's two ways this can go. Usually, ooh, voice crack, that's one way. Usually, when someone shares the Christmas musings, it just it means it's going to be a nice, warm, fuzzy time of uplifting encouragement. Yeah, that's great. Well, when weirdos like me share their musings, it's how does God want to kick us in the rear this Christmas season? And so that's more of how the Lord's been working on my heart. So I thought the timing was interesting. I walked out the door this morning. I said, I'll see you soon, Christy. And she said, KT, don't say anything too controversial. I said, oh, oops, later. See you later, honey. But my prayers that will be encouraged together. My Christmas concentration started around December 6th. Uh, Edward and Megan put together a fantastic Christmas party for the youth. And the, one of the key parts was watching a short video and really starting to think about what does the Christmas story mean? What's surprising about it? What's impressive about it? What's encouraging about it? So I want to share this as a starting point, and then we'll talk together about Christmas thoughts. walked away sadly, but then he said, The only place in here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angels said, A new baby is getting born who is king of the Jews. The angel was 
singing. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out at night. And then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. Well, we should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, that I have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, <laughs> some shoes, some Jordans. Gold ring and Latimer. And I don't know how it would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is gonna change the world. So it was fun with the youth. That sparked some good thoughts. And then we went from teenager to teenager, and they all shared what was impactful to them about the Christmas message, what surprised them, what stuck out to them, what was impressive. And so that triggered a lot of good discussions to follow, a lot of good thoughts to follow. And it's really kind of focused in uh, on at least three thoughts that I'll share with you this morning. Three thoughts of how amazing the Christmas story is. So turn to Luke 2 if you can. Luke 2, there's a pew Bible in front of you. It's page 805, page 805. And let's read this short Christmas story. And then let's look at a couple of thoughts from it together. Page 805, Luke 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And when they were there, the time came forth for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in their fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Praise the Lord for the Christmas story. And so a couple of points here that jumped, that have jumped off the, the pages to me in the last few weeks. First of all, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Peace on earth. Well, you look back at that time and there was anything but peace during that period, was there? 
You had a, uh, the, one of the most powerful empires in the entire history of the world uh, lording over Israel, occupying, ruling, demanding of them, uh, all kinds of things. That doesn't sound like peace for God's chosen people, does it? You had, even during that time, you had the, the supposed leader, the, the king, so to speak, Herod. What kind of leader was he? A terrible man. Terrible man. Uh, obsessed with power and bloodshed. How did he show it? He decided to kill many, many, many innocent little babies. What kind of peaceful leadership is that? Anything but peace. It had been 400 years since the people of God had heard formally from God through writings of a prophet, etc. 400 years of silence. What kind of peace would that bring? Can you imagine the darkness of that time? And yet, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, what did he mean by it? Well, I'll get to the point of what he meant soon that you understand, that I understand. But I think he meant far more about peace than maybe what we focus on. When the, Look back at Isaiah 9, if you could. And we're going to get a pretty good idea that God's view of peace for that time was going to be different, maybe, than what we sometimes think. Isaiah is wonderful because hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus even came, he's being talked about. He's being highlighted. He's being lifted up as the salvation and the hope. And so when you go to Isaiah 9 and you look there, you can see a very different view. Look at verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burdens from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. God's plan for peace through the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ goes beyond even the wonderful peace that we can have in our hearts, which I'll talk about in just a minute. God's plan for peace, as I was told over and over in my biblical studies and, and as I asked questions because it was so hard to understand, it would be explained again. God's plan for peace with the Lord Jesus' coming was for peace on earth, goodwill to men. God came with Jesus in mind to have an earthly, political, literal kingdom where he would rule in perfect authority with peace and justice. Now, we don't have time to go into all this in depth, but make a note of that. Make a note of that. We look to Matthew. Turn with me there to Matthew 5. Matthew five seventeen, and we're going to get another hint of this. I, I have a point in this. Not only is this true biblical teaching that we need to dig further into, But this has some application for us, in my humble opinion. Matthew 5, uh, Jesus is on the scene now, and he is really having his ministry heat up. It's getting, getting ready to roll. He's had some wonderful verses prior to that about you being the light of the world. And then he gets to verse 16. He wraps up one thought. 
And then he launches into kind of a revolutionary concept here. Verse 16, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Then he says in verse 17, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Look at that. Don't misunderstand what I, what I am saying. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that our ancestors were told, and it goes on from there. We start to get this idea that God may have a slightly different view of what he's expecting and what he's planning. And so we start to see that, okay, Jesus didn't come with this just simple message. It was far greater than that. Now, this is that first period where you're going to have to be real patient with me. Good. Got to get back to my verse here. Okay, let's look at... Matthew 11, Matthew 11. Okay. You could read there, make a note of verse 20 through 24. You're going to hear this same concept of the kingdom of God. God wanting us to repent. God wanting us to get ready for the kingdom. You can turn to Matthew 4. Matthew 4 and verse 17. And we're going to hear another shocking statement from the Lord Jesus. First of all, in verse 15, we're going to see a very familiar quote. Look at verse 15. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Does that sound familiar? We just read that in Isaiah 9, right? And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Now look at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is interesting. Jesus wasn't just coming to bring you peace with God, which he was. He was also coming for the children of Israel to finally repent of their centuries of idolatry and embrace the Lord Jesus as their king as their earthly and heavenly king. And so what's amazing about this, we see thoughts like this predicted way back. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We're going to get a a hint of this, if not an outright uh, description of this. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11 You've probably heard this verse. We'll start in verse 10. Then at the end of the celebration, Solomon sent the people home. They were all joyful and glad because the Lord had been so good to David and to Solomon and to all his people. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord and was at his royal palace, and he completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then... If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will restore their land. 
My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple, set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it's dear to my heart. As for you, if you faithfully follow me as David your father did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty. For I made this covenant with your father David when I said, One of your descendants will always rule over Israel. But if you or your descendants abandon me and disobey me, the decrees and commands I've given you, and if they serve, worship other gods, then I will uproot the people from this land that I've given them. If my people will hear my voice, if they will turn to me, if they will humble themselves and pray, God offers deliverance to his people, the Jews. Now, when will that be? Jesus came to offer that. Jesus came to say, repent, for the kingdom of God is about 3,000 years in the future. No, that's not what it says. What does it say? The kingdom of God is at hand. At hand. Study scripture. Look at this. Let's talk about it. But God's intention was to bring peace on earth not just spiritually, but physically, earthly, literally, and politically. He wanted his people to repent and align around the Lord Jesus. Now that's impossible. How in the world were they going to overcome the Roman Empire? God would have found a way. God had a plan. God makes happen what he determines to happen. Can anything stand against it? No way. Interesting for you to think on, but what application does it have today? Just like my guess is that the people of God had given up by this time, by the time we get to Matthew 5. Just like we know, they didn't hear the voice. They did not repent and embrace the Lord as king. What did they do? They rejected him. They scorned him. They abused him. And they had arrangements made for him to be crucified. If they would have embraced, what glorious peace would God have had? Interesting, isn't it? And while we're the benefactors, because as Gentiles, that wouldn't have include you and me. And yet because of events that God knew were going to happen, the game plan changed. And the game plan changed to include you and to include me. Praise the Lord. But I bring this up for two applications. The first one is think about our times. Think about our country. Think about our world. How many of us have hope for peace? I believe God would challenge us to hope for peace. Now, we as followers of Christ, we win either way. Am I right? If God doesn't have restoration, revival, peace to come back, then we believe the scripture teaches that those who know Christ as their Savior will be raptured and spared from the worst of the torment. But that's been wondered about for centuries. And while we want to look forward to that, I firmly believe that God doesn't want me to give up on peace on earth. I believe that God, if he wants to, could bring a wonderful revival. There's been five to seven times throughout our country's history where God brought amazing revival and sparked amazing return to his ways and to him. Thousands, if not millions of men and women coming to receive the Lord Jesus as their savior. This country changed. This world changed. Is that what he wants? I don't know. But you know what? I want us to be men and women who hope for peace. Does that mean I'm not looking for Jesus? Doesn't mean that at all. But am I actively praying for peace? Am I hopeful that God has a plan in all this madness? How many of us have given up on this country? How many of us have said, oh, it's done. Throw in the towel to be blunt. Christians thrown in the towel as part of why this country is the way it is today. Will we be men and women that say, God, use us as instruments of your peace. Here am I, send me, as Isaiah said. Are we men and women who are praying for revival, 
praying for peace, praying for millions to come to the Lord because of what God wants to do here on earth. I don't know if they had hope of that when the Lord Jesus was born. Will we dare to have hope and prayer for that now? Doesn't get in the way of getting excited about the Lord Jesus' return, but I think it puts us as lights of the world in a proper position where let's shine as lights in the world. Let's be part of what God is doing here. Let's not hide in the corner waiting for the rapture. Let's be ready to be peacemakers, ready to be part of God's amazing plan. Now this peace goes way beyond that, and I'm so thankful. Turn, if you would, to Romans 5. Romans 5, some of the greatest words of peace that you'll ever hear. And this is for every single person in this room. I'm so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. We have no idea what brought you here. We have no idea the path that God has had to get you here. But this verse is for you. Verse 1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And it continues on. We can have peace with God. Romans 3 is so crystal clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that this earth is broken. I am a broken man. I know that I chose very early on to disobey God's command, whether that was a snotty word to my parents, whether that was a a pop in the face of my brother or sister, you name it. There are thousands of ways that I have chosen to fall short of God's standard of how I'm supposed to live. We know that. Nobody's perfect. There's a song about that. You want me to sing it? I won't. Nobody's perfect. But the harsh reality of that is that the, the payment of that lack of perfection is spiritual death. Romans 6.23 reminds us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the offering of peace. And it's offered to every one of you this morning. I can think of no better Christmas celebration. Than to receive the Savior of peace. As your personal Savior. John 3.16. Heard of it? For God so loved the world. That he gave his son. Say it with me. For God so loved the world. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 1.12 says it's similar but different. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Your path to peace starts with a simple acceptance reception of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary. You don't have to be an ace Christian that's walking the pro path of honoring God. That's where you want to be. That's not where you start. We start with a humble reception for the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord Jesus, you died to pay for my sins. I accept that. I receive you as my Savior. And the promise is therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Today's the day, my friends. Today is the day where you receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Many of you have already. Praise the Lord. But today's the day. Let's search our hearts. Reach out. Let's talk about this more. From there, it gets even better. Look at Colossians 3.15. It gets even better. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. This is page 925 in your pew Bible. Colossians 3.15 reminds us. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts 
to which indeed you were called in one body. Once you receive the peace of the Lord Jesus through salvation, now let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And what's next? Be thankful. Be thankful. Are we thankful men and women? Ooh, we're entitled men and women. Let's make this Christmas a time where we stop thinking what we deserve. We stop thinking what we should have. We stop thinking the service that we need to have. And let's start embracing the gratitude that God would have for us. What if this Christmas was the most grateful your heart ever was for what Christ has done, for what God has blessed? None of you is cold right now. None of you is, uh, that I know of are hungry right now. We are blessed. Let's be thankful. This will be tested today. My wonderful brother-in-law, he's a great guy. He had that Starbucks in his hand. He was excited for that first sip feeling. And he gets out of the car and the Starbucks falls. No! And splatters all over the road. Oh, poor Kyle. He posted for maybe three paragraphs on it, right, Amy? (laughs) I want to call him and say, Kyle. Be thankful. I'm the same way. You're the same way. Let's let gratitude characterize our attitude this Christmas season. Let's get ready for some thanksgiving, for some joy, for some appreciation of the amazing blessings God has given. And let peace rule in our hearts as we were called. And be thankful. Then we go to Philippians 4, and this blessing of peace continues. This is for you today, my friends. Philippians 4 is for you. It's offered on page 923. 923 offers us peace on earth. And he says in verse 4, more gratitude, more being thankful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which passes understanding? Our dear family, the Eels, buried their dad and grandpa yesterday. And we've been praying that this supernatural peace, this peace that doesn't make sense to our human minds, would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You're going through tough stuff. You have stress and you have anxiety and you have problems and you have family members and you have friends and it is messed up. When we cast those cares on the Lord, he promises a peace that passes understanding to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. No matter what the struggle, no matter what the trial, God offers peace. Will we be men and women that embrace that peace and celebrate that peace? So the Prince of Peace has come. And he wants to bring all kinds of peace in our hearts. Number two, the amazing theme of the birth of Jesus Christ highlights over and over the humility of our amazing God. Philippians 2, you just have to, oh, you don't even have to flip. It's right there, page page, uh, 922. And we'll flip to 921, just to get a little context. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue 
tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The humility of Christ is unbelievable. Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one that holds creation together by the word of his power, Colossians says, became a little baby. And not just a baby, but a dirt poor baby. And so the applications of my humility needing to increase and my pride decreasing are numerous. But again, this contentment, this appreciation, this understanding. I can't remember if it was Rockefeller or Carnegie that was asked how much money is enough and what was the response? Just a little more, just a little more. We live in a world that completely lacks contentment. We don't have nearly enough money, am I right? We don't have nearly what we need. And yet the king of kings said, I'll show you what I need when I come. Instead of a throne, I need a manger. Instead of a mighty, powerful scepter, I need swaddling clothes to wrap me like a little lamb getting ready for sacrifice. That amazes me. That amazes me. And so let me go through just a couple of verses. This is nothing fancy. If you ever need a list of verses to really lift you up on a particular topic, you can Google Bible verses about humility, Bible verses about gratitude. And it's pretty amazing what comes up. So let me just read a few of these. Colossians 3.12 Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Ephesians 1, 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. James 4, 6, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. James 4, 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. What if this Christmas period was characterized by humility from his people? What if we finally said it's not about me and we embrace the honor of being gentle, patient, kind, compassionate, and men and women that don't feel like we deserve anything? but that everything is a gift from Almighty God. Would that reflect our Savior? Absolutely. Would that reflect the message that Jesus brought through example and word when he came? I can't think of much better. And then finally, one more thought for you on this. Leviticus 12, verse 7. Leviticus 12, turn there with me. Leviticus 12. Verse 7. Shout it out when you get there with a page number. 83? 84, Mike. Thank you. Good test. Good test. Page 84. Leviticus 12, verse 7. Interesting nugget of administration here. How are God's people supposed to bring their sacrifice? Verse 7 Verse 6, And when the days of our purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And then we look at Luke 2, verse 24. We have scripture laying out two possible offerings for a young family after uh, a child was born. They were to bring a sacrifice of dedication. Those who could afford it were to bring what? A lamb. Those who were too poor for a lamb were to bring what? Two small birds, right? Two small birds. And we go back to Luke 2. And a little later, after the, the story that we just read we see Joseph and Mary getting ready to obey the Lord. They're going to the temple. And we see something that, has, that, that frankly amazes me. Verse 22. When the king of king's family 
went to offer their sacrifice upon his birth, verse 22, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Why did Mary and Joseph bring a pair of turtle doves? Because they couldn't afford a lamb. They were dirt poor, my friends. They were that exception clause from Leviticus that, yeah, bring a lamb, but boy, you know what? If you can't afford a lamb, bring the two birds. The king of kings' parents were so poor that they brought the two turtle doves? And again, the application to me is don't be the tycoon that said just a little more money is enough, right? KT, be content with what ye have. This Christmas season, others will get more presents. Others will have more money to buy for their kids what they'd love. But will I be content with what I have, with what we have? Will we be content that if two turtle doves were good enough for an offering for the King of Kings, then our content, modest life can be enough for our family as we seek to honor the King of Kings? little application that's been heavy on my heart. Wherever we're at, be content with what Almighty God has given us. And then we wrap it up. So we've had hope for peace. We've had humility. And then we got to continue the theme, hard work. Hard work. I don't know if you've sensed this, but over the last month or two, the Lord has been teaching us about work over and over. Have you sensed that? We had Proverbs talking about hard work. We even had last week talking about hard work in purity. And Joel did a fantastic job of laying out that, that we are to be hard-working men and women, whether that be pursuing moral purity or whether that be pursuing any service to the Lord. And we have golden examples through the, the story of the Lord Jesus of this. And I'd like to start with my favorite example, and that's Jesus' mom, Mary. Look at Luke 1. Luke 1. We see some amazing things that were a stark contrast to my own heart of how I act. And we'll wrap up with this thought. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now think for a minute what this meant for this young teenage girl, 12, 13, 14. In many ways, her life was going to change dramatically, not all for the better. What did this mean for her reputation? Her name was now Mud. What did this mean for her marital prospects? Joseph wanted to dump her because he was convinced she had cheated on her. What did this mean for her dreams and hopes and aspirations of what God would have for her life going forward? Well, embrace morning sickness, embrace discomfort, embrace now a child that you'd be blessed but responsible for for the next several decades. Mary's world was turned upside down. Have you thought of that? Think about your life and my life. When you get this kind of news... How do you respond? 
We had this kind of news 12 years ago when our, our business was forced to take a dramatic change. And Christy was a champ. I was a basket case. We don't do well with these kind of changes, right? And I was so encouraged then to read verse 38. Read verse 38. How did this 12 to 14 year old girl whose life was now radically different with this news? And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What an attitude. Saddle up, Mary. It's time to work. God, I'm ready. Let's get this done. It is time to roll. Amazing response. What amazes me just as much is it continues on. Now Mary gets together with her cousin and her dear friend Elizabeth. Look at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town of Judea, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Mary, who's just gotten this life-changing message, this heartache that she will now have to go through, forward to a sword will pierce your heart, right? This is a tough time. She needs her friend. And I want you to picture in your mind having really hard news, going to your friend. What are the words that are going to come from your friend's mouth? Now listen to the words of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And this is the, the, this is the fruit of your womb. And this is, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Her friend is excited about this trial to come. Her friend is excited about what the Lord has for her. Now, what went through your mind? Here's here's how my buddies would respond. Rightfully so in a lot of ways. Oh man, I'm sorry. Oh, that's so hard. Ladies, how would your friends res- respond? Oh girl, I'm, I am so sorry. That is so hard. How are you even dealing with this? Oh, oh man. That wasn't Mary's response to hard trials ahead. That wasn't Mary's friend's response to the the hard trials ahead. They were ready for whatever the Lord brought. And this was a kick in the tail to me. Stop feeling sorry for yourself, KT. Stop thinking that every hard thing that comes, I just got to, oh, I just got to take a break. Let's roll. If a 12 to 14 year old girl whose life was now radically upside down can say, let's get at it, then suck it up, buttercup. It's time to honor the Lord. Are you with me? And I'm challenged this Christmas that I got to stop feeling sorry for myself. I got to stop wallowing in, oh, the stress and all. No. God has laid out good works, Ephesians 2.10. He has made the path straight, Proverbs 3, for you to work hard for the Lord, for you to serve Him like crazy. This is the time, not for lazy, not for sitting back, not for pity parties about all the stress and heartache that we have. This is the time to embrace what God has given me, what God has given you to accomplish for His name. Mary took the bull by the horns and ran with it with excitement. She goes on to verse 47, 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And it goes on in celebration. How long does Mary feel sorry for herself? She's excited. She's celebrating. She is ready. She's ready to embrace this amazing work, hard work. 
that God has given her. I've got two other examples, but they're not as uh, astounding. You can look them up, though. You can look at the example of Joseph, who was in a rough spot, too. And you look at how he stood up, how he took responsibility, how he went forward. Will we embrace this Christmas season with dedication and even ambition to do the work that the Lord has laid ahead of us? God's soldiers have no time for self-pity, laziness, and entitlement. God's soldiers are called to stand and fight and march. Let me give you a a little bit of a homework assignment if I could. Like I said, it's nice and easy. I want you to Google, be strong in the Lord. And some of the verses that are going to come up is 2 Corinthians 12.9 that says, My grace is all you need, for my power is greatest when you are weak. Psalm 73.26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. And then one more. 1 Corinthians 15, turn there with me and we'll close with this. First Corinthians 15. Ugh, bear with me. Therefore, verse 58. Therefore, by the way, in light of all this victory that God has given the follower of Christ, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This season will be a season of rest, I pray for you. But it's also a season of steadfast, immovable hope and service for our Almighty God. So is God laying on our heart hope for peace, humility with the amazing example of our Savior, and hard work, dedication, devotion as soldiers and children of Almighty God. Father, we thank you for this amazing season, this Christmas season, this time of of, uh, joy and peace and comfort and encouragement. Lord, we know it's not always that. We know that we have hurting people. We know that life is hard. And so we pray that if any here don't know the Lord as their Savior, that today they would make that simple but profound decision that they would receive the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Father, then that we would we would uh, walk in this peace, walk in this hope, that we would walk in humility, realizing that if the King of kings humbled himself, I need to as well, that we'd have contentment. And finally, Lord, that we'd be ready to serve. We're ready to serve, that we'd lay aside our own comfort and that we'd embrace the good works that you have prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Praise the name of Jesus. Thank you for sending him. Thank you that he came. And we celebrate his amazing uh, arrival. In Jesus' name.